Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Sometimes that's how you feel when you're caught in habitual sin and it seems like there's no way out. It's kind of like being on a carousel or a merry-go-round. You think you're just going to take a lap or two. And when you try and get off, you realize there's a fence being put up around the outside of the carousel. And not only can you not get off, but it's going faster and faster and faster. And you find yourself spiraling, wondering, how did I get here? How did I get out? Uh, How did I get off this ride? And that's kind of the story today of this woman caught in adultery. She was... um, Now, if you want to turn to John 8, where we're going to be today... uh, John didn't tell us that this is Magdalene. Most biblical scholars and theologians believe this story is about Mary from Magdala, a small city in Judea. She's living in Jerusalem now uh, when she's caught, but um, believe that this is Magdalene, a a, uh, notorious prostitute in that day and age. And uh, she's, we're going to see her story here unfold, but she is. It's called an habitual sin, and we're going to see how the Lord Jesus deals with that. Follow along with me, if you will, in chapter 8 of John, beginning at verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law Moses commanded to us to stone such a woman, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Four things today I want us to take away from this text about Magdalene's second chance. First is this, is that it was highly politicized. Her second chance was highly politicized. Look at verse 2. At dawn he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. <coughs> Jesus taught often in the temple courts. The courts were the courtyard, basically, which, which kind of surrounds on one or two sides the, the temple itself. And he would frequently uh, teach in the courtyard, but that's where he was today teaching. He was doing so uh, knowing that it was the religious leaders, uh, to to the religious leaders there, he was making a political statement. Uh, It was to say, this this space that you use to judge others, you're about to be judged yourself. Uh, this, This space you use supposedly for worship, 
has become everything and anything but worship anymore because you're, you're using it for political gain. And he, know, he knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, consequently, don't let anybody tell you that Christians shouldn't be involved in the political process, shouldn't, shouldn't be political uh, or engaged in that process. He, Jesus was and, and knew what he was, what he was doing. In fact, the, uh, Jesus riding in on a donkey the week of Passover into Jerusalem was a political statement that he was making. So the uh, progressive left, wish you would shut your mouth, sit down, be quiet. It's important that we be involved in the political process and, and that, uh, we remember again that this nation was founded on biblical principles from, from a, a biblical worldview and if we want to get back in that direction again, it's going to be because believers involve themselves in the process of what's going on. So don't, don't think otherwise. In this instance, though, there was likely a large crowd gathered. So the Pharisees and Sadducees believe they're seizing an opportunity here uh, to publicly humiliate Jesus. So this wasn't really about Magdalene at all uh, or her sin. It was, she was, it, it was an exercise in political gamesmanship. In, in fact, the, the, in, very, in all likelihood, the timing of this teaching, the timing of, of her being caught was set up beforehand, was planned beforehand to try and see if they could catch Jesus in, in, in a no way out situation. I'll explain that in just a minute. But it was... It was a, a politicized situation, both by the Pharisees and Sadducees on their part, and by Jesus on his part in, in where this uh, teaching was taking place. So they knew what was going on. Second thing I want us to see about Magdalene's second chance is not only was it highly politicized, it made her a pawn of entrapment. It made her a pawn of entrapment. Look at verses 3 to 6. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone women, uh, stone such women. What do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Made her stand before the group and use this question as a trap. If she was caught in the act, she was likely either standing there naked or barely clothed with what she could grab as, as they grabbed her and brought her out of her house to Jesus. And perhaps a, a tunic of some kind to throw over. So she, she was certainly embarrassed and humiliated at, the, at this, uh, this instance. Uh, as a Jewish woman, she knows what the law says about adultery. She's supposed to be stoned. However, she soon discovers that uh, they aren't concerned with her sin at all, but are using her as a pawn. Uh, as an insignificant piece of trash, more or less, in order to get their, their political point across, what they had set out to do. And that's to try and use her to lure Jesus into a no-way-out situation. And the no-way-out choice is, if he said to let her go, he's ignoring the law. So they got in there. If he said to, to, uh, to stone her, then he's going against the, the very things he's been teaching all these crowds about, to, to love each other and forgive each other. So they're trying to entrap him here. Uh, asking this question. And he knows that. He realizes what's going on. But in their minds, they've got him. In her mind, she realizes she's been set up. And she's uh, likely to be stoned to death. <coughs> you ever been in a, in a situation of entrapment uh, where you either you got there yourself accidentally or accidentally on purpose or someone else got you there? 
I remember the first choir trip I ever went on as, as a student, probably middle schooler, I would guess. Uh, we went down to West Tennessee to sing at some churches down there and, and, and spent the night in, in the church auditorium, brought sleeping bags. And the pastor, our pastor and the pastor of the church we were singing at that next day or had sung at that, that the night before were asleep uh, kind of in, in the front altar area and the rest of us boys, the girls were someplace else, I don't know, good thing. All of us boys were back in the back, uh, behind the back row, kind of in, in the lobby area. Uh, bedded down on sleeping bags, and we were roughhousing, cutting up. And you know, the pastors told us a couple times, "Ah, you boys got to settle down, be quiet, and go to sleep." Um, so one of the guys that, that we used to unmercifully treat unmercifully, uh, I've repented since for doing this, but not as much as I should have probably. Um, but and it wasn't me who did this, but. Uh, he, had, he would just walk around in his underwear and so, so a couple of guys took his underwear off of him and threw it up toward the front of the church. Well, here he goes, pew to pew, stark naked in the auditorium, trying to find his underwear. Well, we're back there cackling, laughing at him. He gets back and has to go to the bathroom when he, when he gets his underwear back. So he, the bathroom's downstairs. So a couple of us, as he's gone, uh, devise a plan. When, when he gets back up here, we're going to tell him that we've all been called on to pray, and it's his turn. So that's what happens. We get back up. Hey, preacher's called on us to pray, and it's your turn to pray. So here he goes. Dear Lord, we lost it at that point. Everybody in the whole place is, and there's about 15 to 20 guys there, so we're cackling, laughing. He doesn't miss a beat. Dear Lord, I think I've been had and he had been had, and he, he, he had been entrapped and, and knew that that uh, uh, that was the case. He had a good uh, good laugh out of it to himself, but uh, if you've ever been in those situations where not of your own choosing, you're in a situation you didn't ask to be in, and she realizes that here that she's been entrapped. She's, she's they're really not interested in her sin. They're interested in, in trapping Jesus. She, she becomes a pawn in all of that. Thirdly, not only was Magdalene's second choice, or second chance, highly politicized and made her a pawn of entrapment, but thirdly, uh, her choice was in the hands of a discerning judge. Of a discerning judge. Look at the last part of verse 6 and 7. But Jesus met down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone, a stone at her. Men down wrote in the sand there, there's been a, a lot of speculation as to what Jesus wrote in the sand by scholars and theologians over the years. Some suggest that he may have written the, the sixth or the ninth commandment. The sixth commandment being do not kill. The ninth commandment do not bear false witness. Or perhaps another verse or passage of scripture. Uh, I, and those may be true. I tend to think, my opinion tends to be that it was either one of two things. It was either the sins of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were standing close enough to see what he was writing down. Or perhaps uh, the name of the, ma the man that was caught in the act that is, is oblivious to this scene. He's just as guilty as she is, yet they bring her out and leave him alone. Uh, I don't know what he wrote, but either way, uh, coupled with how Jesus responds to them, 
saying, you that without sin cast the first stone. Uh, they start this exodus, starting with the oldest first. And I imagine it's the oldest first either because there was more wisdom on their part as to what he was writing down. They knew they, knew they those are the ones that had been had instead of the other way around. Or they were more, they were more guilty as older ones than the younger ones were. But uh, as, as the stones start to drop, and you can hear it, as the stones start to drop in the dirt, she realizes she's standing in front of a discerning judge and starts to have some hope. If you've ever uh, been in that situation where what, what around you seems hopeless, yet there's a glimmer, there's a, there's, there's a, a ray of light that gives you some hope. Uh, and I would have hope in that situation. I know you would too. She starts to figure out Jesus knows more than they do and sees more than they do. They don't realize that yet, but, but he, he does. And so she starts to realize that, that she's standing in front of a discerning judge who knows more and sees more. And uh, friend, if you've been in that situation before, it's, uh, there's no greater comfort to know that you're in the hands of a God who, who is, who's got you. And, and, and got the situation you're in. And so she, she realizes that that day. Uh, she's in the hands of a discerning judge. Finally, not only was her situation politicized and made her a point of entrapment and was she in the hands of a discerning judge, but finally Mary's second chance turned her life around. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. It turned her life around. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Nobody's here. Neither do I continue. He said, go and leave your life of sin. This is a telling question that Jesus asked her. Has no one condemned you? She understood as a Jewish woman that just because she didn't stand there condemned didn't mean she stood there innocent either. She understood that. And she understood, that, probably was wondering why he was still talking to her. Then the writer John, who describes Jesus in chapter 1 as full of grace and truth, gives us his answer that is both full of grace and truth. He says, neither do I condemn you. That's full-on grace on display right there. She realizes that. This was a Jew-to-Jew conversation, and she fully understood what the law says. She fully understood that she was supposed to be stoned in that situation. So he says, neither do I condemn you, which is, which is full-on grace. Then Jesus closes with this counterbalance of truth. Now go and leave your life of sin. Don't do this anymore. In essence, turn around, repent, go in a different direction. Uh, it's, it's believed by most theologians and scholars that this was a turning point in Magdalene's life, that after this point she becomes a, a devoted disciple of his, in fact, even a financial supporter to Jesus' ministry. Uh, an encounter that turned her life inside out. The wealthy folks in that day and time, believe it or not, were prostitutes and tax collectors. And she was a, a well-known and famous prostitute and had means, had resources. And as I say, many scholars believe this, this turned her life around. She started pouring her resources into Jesus' ministry as a, as a disciple of his. I wonder, though, today... How many of our lives resemble Magdalene's? The, the sin may be different. The habitual sin may be different, but we feel entrapped. We feel we're in a place where 
We can't turn around. There's no way out. There's no way off the carousel. Uh, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's habitual. What I want you to hear is there's no condemnation on his part. Neither do I condemn you. But there's also truth. Go and lead this life of sin. Go, go and live differently. Go and turn your life around. A couple of questions as we wrap that I want to ask today as we leave, and it's this. Has there been a point in your life when if you'd gotten what you deserved, life would have turned out much differently for you? She didn't get what she deserved that day. She knew it. And her life drastically changed and turned around. Has there been that point in, in your life for you that if you'd gotten really what you deserved in that moment, life would have turned out differently for you? Well, I want to remind you, that was God giving you a do-over. Perhaps an over, if you're like me, and over and over and over. Second question I want to ask is this. It says, realizing that truth caused you to live closer to Jesus as a result. If it hasn't, what was it for? When we realize we've been given a second chance, we've not been given what we deserve, but given grace upon grace. That ought to change us. It changed her. It ought to change our outlook. It ought to change our attitude. It ought to change our speech. It ought to change our relationships. It ought to change our environments. It ought to change the things we want out of life. It should change us from the inside out as it did her. Totally. I wonder if realizing that truth has done that for you, has brought about that kind of change. Or if not, why not? If it's because you, you, you are today still on the carousel, you're still in habitual sin that you just can't get, get beyond, can't, can't, can't get rid of, and you're wondering, is this, is this my plight in life? Is this, all, is this all there is for me? Is there a way out, a way, out, a way off this carousel? And the answer that Magdalene says, yes, there is. It, it may be embarrassing at, at times, but there's a way out and a way off. We've got to seize it, see it first, and then seize it. Um, if, that, if that describes you today, I want to encourage you to, to empty yourself at the foot of the cross today and leave whatever that is there and ask God to give you the power tomorrow to win at whatever habitual sin that is. And on Tuesday, to win whatever bitch of sin that is and on Wednesday to win and over time as you start to see victories in your life you're going to start to see your, your outlook change your, your destiny and destination change as well um, but it's a process but it's a process that begins with a decision and I want to encourage you today to make that decision if you never had it before if you never received Jesus Please come and pray and invite him into your heart today. If you have and you're in habitual sin that's got you gripped and your witness on the shelf, seize the opportunity today to make this day a place where you turn, make a decision to turn, and that decision is made tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Uh, her life was different. Her life changed. In fact, she was, as I said, became a, a devoted disciple. She was believed to be at the crucifixion, was, was one of the first at the tomb on Resurrection Sunday to come anoint his body. Uh, and her witness and her story changed her, her sphere of influence. Yours can too. But you got to change to get there. Let's pray. Father, change is hard. And change that embarrasses us or makes us vulnerable, makes us exposed is even harder. 
But you call us today to come out and be separate and live differently. You look at our sin, whether it's habitual or not, and say, I don't condemn you for that, but I want to encourage you to change, repent, turn, go in a different direction, walk in a godly direction, make that decision to do that again tomorrow and the day after. All that begins with a decision to change that affects each, each person in this room today of how we're going to live our life and see our life through your lens or ours tomorrow. Would you help us? Would you give us the courage to not walk in defeat anymore? To not think that our situation is hopeless anymore, but you give us a do-over. And again, and again, and again. Because that's the way you love. And that's how grace works. Would you, would you remind us of that and reveal that to us again today? And help us to remember the example of Magdalene to say, if she can turn, I can turn. If she can win, I can win. If she can defeat sin in her life, I can defeat sin in my life. We've got to want that. So give us that want to today to leave this place different than when we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.